Hey gang, in an effort to give you content every single week, some of the episodes over the next couple of weeks might be a little shorter than usual while we're out of town, but we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming soon. Thanks a lot for sticking it out with us, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbond. Hey, it's Matt Trackbond. Yeah, you're back. Book Club member. And this episode is a continuation of our discussion last week. And now, on to the rest of the listener feedback. Hey, you damn guys. Is that a monkey? He's got it. We got some mega size feedback, premium content from yeah. Mark Tweedell here. Awesome. He said about Lethe at the beginning, it is shown as running water, and at the end, it's merely dripping. Mm-hmm. I took it to be a visual for the journey Hellboy takes beginning and then finally petering out. And I will forever want a Sir Edward in Hell series. <laughs> Well, not hell exactly, since Edward was free to stray all sorts of places after his death, but you know what I mean. A series set sometime between 1916 and 2011. Stenbeck would surely have to be involved at some point. (laughs) And he also said there was something lost going from the single issues to the collection. And I talked about this a little bit. Um, But he said the dramatic end for issue three was followed by an image with a complete non-sequitur title for the issue. It broke the tension and made me laugh in the best way possible. So after Astaroth and all them get eaten, and then it just says, death riding an elephant. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and it it kind of, um, and I talked about that too, at the end of issue one, when the spirit takes Hellboy into the air, he's like, so where are we going? And in the single issue, you turn the page and it had that Satan statue and it said pandemonium, you know, and yeah. and, and you kind of lose that on the collected versions. I wonder why they didn't include them in there. Yeah. I mean... It has the chapter titles, but it would have been nice to... I guess it would have been redundant to have that next issue, this, and yeah. then that chapter title on the next page. Maybe it's like a waste of paper type of thing. Mark well, Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He also said the advice Ed Gray gives Hellboy is advice Mike's therapist gave to him. I tried to talk Mike into selling me this page, but at the time he said it was too personal for him to part with. That's that part where he says people are like houses. Yeah. And there's all the different rooms. Yeah, I thought that that was great. Honestly, I think it's one of the best pages he's ever drawn. About Hellboy killing Satan in issue two, this is a weird thing because it never crossed my mind that the scene was vague. Like, I read it and I thought it was totally clear Hellboy killed Satan. Not a question in my mind. Then issue four comes along and in the hell mail we have Scott Alley talking about how nobody guessed it. I didn't realize it was a mystery. Yeah, so, and you talked about that a little bit too, Matt. Mm -hmm. I think they did intend for it to be kind of mysterious. Yeah, it was to me, yeah. At least I'm not the only one who lost geek points. (laughs) (laughs) He also said, if anyone has questions about the canosity of Magician and the Snake, Mike had this to say on the topic. And Mark, he linked a comment by Mike where he was talking about it on Twitter. And Mignola said, it's just a fairy tale in the Hellboy universe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's but actually who, pretty cool, though. Who's to say? Because Hell, Hellboy is a fairy tale in our universe, so maybe it has its own fairy tale, and it's a real universe. Sure, you never know. Yeah, 
Well, according to the multiverse theory, there, there everything it is everything exactly. So it's happening. real. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> he also said, "I like the idea that everything in the Amazing Screw on Head and other curious objects are fiction within the Hellboy universe. It allows Mike to broach certain ideas." without them being shackled to literalism. And he also said, I told this story many times before, but I enjoy telling it, so let's do this again. October 2012, New York City Comic Con, my first ever comic convention. I wander into Artist Alley and eventually get to Mignola's table. I was nervous as hell. I hovered at a distance for quite some time. Anyway, person after person is coming up to get books signed, barely talking to him, and if they do, it's only to ask when Hellboy 3 is coming out. One guy literally walked up, dropped a pile of books in front of him, and gets them signed without saying so much as a single word to Mike. It was insanely rude. In, in between yeah. fielding Hellboy 3 questions, I finally get up the nerve to talk to Mike and immediately ask him about Sir Edward Gray and Jack the Ripper and the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Mike's head snaps awake, and suddenly I have his full attention. We continue talking for maybe half an hour. When no one else is around, Mike leans forward conspiriorally and asks if I'd like to read some Hellboy in Hell. I should point yeah. I should point out Hellboy in Hell was scheduled to come out December 2012, and so this is in October. Mike pulls out a binder and presents black and white pages of the uh-huh. first two issues unlettered. <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't want to hear anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I got to read those two pages. I got to read those two issues with Mignola sitting opposite, grinning like a maniac. I got a commentary. When I got to the puppet sequence, he pointed and said it was one of his favorite sequences he's ever drawn. I remember when Hellboy killed Satan, I looked up in shock and Mike gave a little nod. Yeah. Then we get to the end of issue two. I saw how Hellboy got his hand while Mike watched. It was insane. I'll never forget that energy that radiated off Mike. He seemed to get so much joy out of showing me his work. It was an utter pleasure and one of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah, so that just sounds incredible. Wow. Wow. Can you even imagine? No. (laughs) Crazy. Great story, Mark. That is so awesome. We got some feedback from Jan Niklas. He said, finally, Hellboy in Hell, or How Hellboy Became a Complete Art Comic. I will save most of the commentary for the second part, but I still have a few thoughts. Question, why Hellboy? My answer, because he's a descendant of King Arthur. The demons of hell seem to put a lot of importance on the right blood, as did nobles in the Middle Ages. It was kind of your legitimation for everything. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, It really does, yeah. Because you were a descendant of someone really important who did something and got approval by God. And how much more noble can you be if your great-great-great-grandfather was king of the Britons, who will also come back to make everything better? I think that this was Azale's plan all along. A son that not only has the tool to destroy the world, but also to rebuild it and reign over a new world, a better world for the damned and the fallen. I think that it makes Azale a bit more complex because he seemed to have been tired of being stuck in hell and doing nothing. Also think of the implications that Hellboy got his right hand attached to him, but I'll save that for part two. Yes, I thought that was really interesting because, like, yeah, for Azale, his his son is like the game changer, you know? Not only will he bring about the apocalypse, but then because of the King Arthur part, now he can reign over the new world, too. Has he got his own comic, like prequel comic, like some of the other people? No, he hasn't, but yeah, we talked about that last week, yeah. He also said, why Leviathan? Answer, because Mike wanted to finally get rid of Astroth. No, really, but I think there's more to it. Astral's death had something of a Greek tragedy to it. 
You can be a manipulative bastard, but you don't kill family. How ironic that his act of defending his brother got him killed after manipulating the rest of the family for all those centuries. I don't even think that he liked Azale that much. But the younglings should respect their elders. And the page where they get eaten by Leviathan was my favorite page of the year. Once I got the issue. Always felt like fate saying, killing family is bad, okay? Which shows that morals are quite flexible down here. Also, don't kill people, Astroth. You seem to be good at it, but look where it got you. You mean, mumbly Mephistopheles. And then there's Eddie. I have to say I like Eddie in Hell more than past Eddie. I don't know why, but I think it's this inherent optimism that one shows. He was cast down in Hell and now is just a naked corpse in Hell and other mythological worlds. But he found out that he likes wandering around and saw this as an opportunity to broaden his perspective and still thinks you can make something out of yourselves. You are a real ray of sunshine, Eddie. But this little scene also showed what we can expect from Hell. Not only doom and gloom, but also hope. Touching. Thank you, naked flying guy. Hear you next week if my curse doesn't get you first because you monsters don't continue the vacation in hell right away. Curse you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jenny Class, as always. Jenny Class. Book club member. Uh-huh. And we also got some feedback from Ross Radke. We got all the regulars in here this week. Hey, oh, Ross Radke. Yeah. He said, rereading Hellboy in Hell along with the Hellboy Book Club. I love drawing the weird bug and cellophod creatures. What most impressed me about Mignola's Hell are the spooky, slouching piles of buildings. Ross said, I don't have much to say about Hellboy and Hell that you guys didn't cover in the episode. I will say, for Aubrey and Danielle's benefit, that waiting to read the next chapters is what we all had to endure when there were <laughs> month-long gaps between single issues. So I can relate. Well, no, and it's that's also partially why I'm like... Yeah. I'm not complaining about it. Yeah. He also said, um, why does the Ghost of Future show Hellboy's birth? And I and I got confused here too, but I think we talked about it on the last episode. There is a switch right before they go to that scene. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the ghosts switches out, and I didn't catch that on my reread either. He also said... Well, the ghosts also were like, no, we're not. That was a joke. Right, Take right. a joke. He's like, Ghost of Christmas Past? Not hardly. Oh, yeah, yeah. The puppet show was just kind of not... Analogy. Yeah. Yeah, but it did kind of... But they did go along with those ghosts. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of like a looser defined... Sure. He also said that he liked the reference of Satan being in the basement for 2,000 years. Sure. Because that would imply that it was after, you know, he battled Christ or whatever. And then so he's been down there all this time. Leviathan is originally from the Book of Job, which is interestingly the only book in the entire canonical Bible that depicts both God and Satan as anthropomorphic beings speaking to one another and interacting with humans. Leviathan is the last in the list of animal that God uses to put Job in his place. God starts talking about his dominion over all the goats, donkeys, oxen, ostriches, and eagles, and then he kicks it up a notch talking about behemoth and finally Leviathan. Leviathan. Behemoth and Leviathan are traditionally understood as poetic depictions of hippos and elephants, crocodiles, and whales. Creationists argue that they are dinosaurs, presuming Job to be a story passed down from soon after the flood before the dinos went extinct. I present this little tidbit understanding how absolutely (laughs) ridiculous that must sound to most people, but bear in mind, a lot of Christians were raised to believe this alternate young earth history, and there is a deep rabbit hole of writing devoted to this. Yes, no, and I I do have a lot of sympathy and, right. and pity for no really i'm for the children who are brought up in these households because it's very hard it's a cult-like behavior yeah. and it's really sad and, and hard 
I, I grew up in a church that was really on that whole young earth right. theory kind yeah. of thing, and I was just like, that doesn't make any damn sense. It yeah. <laughs> hey, I just uh, went back and looked at Hellboy in Hell. He's right. That ghost is uh, would be the ghost of Christmas future. Right. Ah, and, okay. And he does immediately take him to the past, but he's filling him in, and it ends with Hellboy's father in Frozen or whatever. Right. So, right. He does bring him right up to the latest point. Sure, of the sure. No, that's true. Well, yeah, but see, then I guess that is the present. Mm-hmm. You know, my theory is those spirits really aren't anything at all, anyway. <laughs> Wait a minute. Just I think kidding. it's all the same. I think it's all the same just spirit. Kidding. They're just kind of. The, mm. I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, okay, if you think about it, though, in what the hell, goddamn it, Scrooge, <laughs> the Ghost of Christmas Future shows Ebenezer his death. Right, uh-huh. and so he's basically showing him his father's death, right, at and the time of his birth. So maybe it's not like you know the future. Maybe it's more like a ghost of the end, of, you know. Right, like right, okay. Has some sort of like ending connection because, you know, at the end of Ebenezer learning his own fate, he's brought right back to the present, and at the end of this vision, he's brought right back to the present. Sure, yeah. So okay, or, or he's saying, "Hey, you are the beast of the apocalypse. This proves it indefinitely," and. The apocalypse has yet to come, so right. that would be the future. You huh. lad, what day is this? Why, it's apocalypse day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to go find the biggest... <laughs> the biggest monster you can. Make it an Audrey Hem. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta see that remake of A Christmas Story. Uh, Jason Abaddon said, at the end of issue four, when Hellboy is free and still has his smokes, I laughed many times at Hellboy's endless pack of smokes and how spirits always have wine or liquor to share with him it might just be how souls interact sharing some small memories of that really good smoke or much needed drink after all what are we without our bodies but soul and memory Mm. i really love that yeah beautiful Mm. regarding mignola saying he doesn't know who hellboy's rooftop guide is and matt's notion that mignola simply forgot what he'd intended I wonder how many connections are intended and how many are just assumed by fans and later adopted as canon. As though Mignola huh. and Allie look at each other and shake their heads saying, yeah, we totally planned that. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, yeah. what I was talking about earlier. It's like, okay, sure. Part of it, well, that's 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 another thing about, about any kind of art yeah. that you put out there, any art or music or anything. Part of it is you make the thing and the other part of it is people are interacting with this in a way that means something oh, to yeah, them yeah. and so that becomes a part of the thing oh yeah no totally random thought but made me think of iron man 2 right he saves this little kid and then the fans went back and said oh that's young peter parker oh yeah, oh, yeah. and then so marvel came out and they said sure 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 it is I like, <laughs> yeah kevin, kevin feige's like Okay, I like that. (laughs) I I was thinking of more in that esoteric kind of a way, but sure. Yeah, no, (laughs) just for the kind of... We can that to Spider-Man if you want. Yeah, but and and I thought I had it in the notes here, but I think Mark Tweedell posted a comment where he said that Mignola has stated that he leaves stuff purposefully. Yeah. Like, like there is meaning, but he says that there isn't because he doesn't... of course. Because it... It has that mysterious quality or whatever. Totally, for sure. And I think that that's kind of what you were talking about a little bit, Matt, regarding all these kind of connections and whether they really mean anything or not. Well, people are always saying, oh, what is this song about? What is this song about? And I have to be like, look, it's right there for you to experience. Right. Why would I over explain a thing? Yeah. When it's right there to be experienced. That's not the point of it. Yeah. And and to go along with that, like I think, 
you know, like Matt, all the research that you did last week on the three rivers and it just, it fit it so well that I've kind of like jumped on board and been like, this can't be just coincidence. Yeah. The way that this is laid out. But at the same time, I could see why Mignola or anyone would never admit that. Yeah. Because right. it's kind of like the more investment you put in this and all the research and you have to connect all these dots, you have to know about yeah. all the rivers in hell from Paradise Lost and everything like that. And you make these connections from absorbing the content over and yeah. over. And it's kind of like meant for those people. You know well, what and I mean? I, like I know, right. I know what this means to me. It's your job to figure out what it means to you. Right. And if you're not willing to connect with it on that level, that's fine. But if you are, that's that's right. the whole process. That's the point of it. Yeah, and on the surface level, you can say, "Oh, they're the they're the spirits from a Christmas Carol," you know. But if you dig a little mm-hmm. deeper, you can find I don't know even Whatever more else, yeah. even more content under that. I have to say though, I, I do find that I enjoy a story or even a song or whatever better if you don't sit there and go okay so let me tell you about all this means i'm like yeah why are you telling me if i can't get what it means from the from the thing yeah Yeah. then why did you leave that shit out exactly and i also like it because then that also means it does leave things up to interpretation and everybody can have their own little personal connection to it because like like if you tell me like this song is about the time i walked down to the grocery store and bought hamburger meat sure i'll be like damn man (laughs) I thought it was about that time that I was playing baseball with my friends. Right. That got yeah. me through a really tough time. Man. Exactly. Yeah. It yeah. breaks that bond. <laughs> but then then again, there there are, I generally feel that way, but there are very small exceptions. Like oh, when, of course, of course. Like when a horrible right-wing extremist group will try to like co-opt a song that someone originally wrote and they have to come out on Twitter and be like, actually, uh, that's against <laughs> you. I don't like you. That's what that song is about. So oh, uh, shut yeah. the fuck up. Okay, I do Stuff agree like with that. that. Yeah. But that's like kind of a very limited asterisk right. onto that. It can be anyway. used for good or evil. There you go. Jason also said regarding Sarah Hughes and Azale, never date anyone that wants to put big fishing hooks into you. Jeez. It's a sign that you're not on parody with your partner. <laughs> good good advice all yeah. around. Jeez. Nathaniel Green said, I love that Mr. Mignola dated the last page on issue four. I love thinking about him finishing this issue on New Year's Eve and the thoughts that we now know he was having about the rest of the series. Aww. I was rereading The Fury number three before going into Hellboy in Hell, and I came across this little gem in the letter column. So I don't know if you remember this on issue three, Matt. They have this letter. It's from a little kid, and they actually scan it so you can see like it's in the little Aww. kid writing. It was so cute. <laughs> It says, Dear Mike Mignola, I love Hellboy. He is so cool that it makes Michael Jordan look kind of lame. Do you wish you were Hellboy? Because I really do. It would be so fun. Would you want to kill Hellboy? I hope not because I would plead you not to. Your friend, Tyler Collinsworth. (laughs) That's so cool. That is so cool. I love that. So they they put that at the end of issue three where they do kill Hellboy. But I just thought that that was great. And I think the letter was dated 2011. See, isn't letter writing awesome? Yeah, it it's really so is. so fun. <laughs> yeah. um, that reminds me of, do you guys like Life Aquatic? Oh, yeah. yeah. So remember, early on in the movie, Steve Zizou is, they're referencing his reply to a letter oh, yeah. other, his son sent when he was a kid. And he says, to answer your last question first, always. <laughs> but you don't know what that question was until later, they read the original letter. And at the end, he goes, and my last question is, do you ever wish you could breathe underwater? Right. <laughs> so, like, so just look at that. I mean, that that seems like a kind of a 
jokey setup or whatever, no, right? Yeah. Very uh, set up for yeah. a joke, but there is something to letter writing. Oh and, yeah. And I love the idea that somebody would answer the last question first because it made them the most excited. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that happens to me a lot. If somebody writes to me a letter, I just I don't where do I reply to this? Yeah. In order or my most, you know, the, the most interesting part to me, anyway. And so I was thinking about this years later. I wrote a letter to Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger when I was a kid, nice. and I That's sent cool. him and I sent him my picture, and it was my first grade picture. And I asked him if he could send me a picture back, That's which so he cute. which he did. He actually did send me a, an autographed picture back. But then later, as an adult, thinking about this, this little first grade picture. I'm like probably like 10 or something. Aww. And so the guy that plays Freddy Krueger is getting this letter from a 10-year-old. Well, you're probably with a little more like 7 or 8. First grade? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. 7 or 8. Yeah, and he's getting my picture in the Aww. mail and probably thinking like, what is this kid doing watching my movies? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but and and yeah, that was a very... He's that was always a, been someone who's been very cool to his family. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And... Um, that really reinforced. Yeah. I used to write a lot of letters, yeah. And Nathaniel Green's last comment, he says, off topic, but I love your side chatter. <laughs> Neil Diamond's compilation, Shiloh, is an unblemished perfect album. Not one bad track. Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, which was covered in the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Red Red Wine, which is famously covered by UB40. I'll Come Running, I'm a Believer. I non-ironically celebrate this album end to end. P.S. I totally want to make all the iconic swords, daggers, axes, and spears from the Hellboy verse. Nice. <laughs> all right. That was great uh, listener feedback. Um, I enjoyed hearing from everybody on our Hellboy and Hell episode. For this next story, we're going to read BPRD Hell on Earth, A Cold Day in Hell. This is a two-issue arc published in 2013 with art by Peter Snyberg and covers by Dave Johnson again. Written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Snybeer, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Uh, can I make a note? Yes, please. Uh, Snybeer was the guy who did Abe Sapien, The Abysmal Plane. Yes, yes, Same exactly. And I like that he's back at this point. Oh, yeah, and uh, I have a note about that when we get to the sketchbook. We open on various newscasts, and they're showing just how horrible everything is in the world. And then I started reading this comic. Uh, get it? Uh, <laughs> you like that one? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so we see, you know, the bat face monsters. We see the Salton Sea monster. They're recapping all the horrible stuff that's going on. This part that's in French, they're talking about an evacuation, that there was an evacuation, but that they don't have enough resources to evacuate everybody because I threw it in the old Google Translate. And we reveal who's watching the newscast. Boom. It's Abe, right? I... Uh, <sighs> about time you woke up, Abe. Jeez. Not that you were sleeping. Out. You got shot, but God damn it, <laughs> I missed you, buddy. He is out of the tank. And mm. talk about bringing everybody and the character up to speed at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. Like, how, how should we get Abe out of the tank? What should he do first, you know? <laughs> no, just put him right in front of these four panels on the first page showing us the state of affairs around the world. Right. right? And now... You turn the page and you're like, well, it's totally different from Abe's point of view than my own. I'm just reading this. Abe is looking at his world. Yes. And he's got to know he's evolved yet again. Yeah, he looks different. Yes, you've certainly missed a lot, he hears. And we see Panya with Ollie, her cat, behind him. 
Okay, so in the letter column for this issue, Snybear sent in the black and white panel of Panya looking at Abe with the cat on her lap. Uh-huh. And it has a thought bubble above Cute. its head with a classic cartoon fishbone in it. That's cute. So it's looking at Abe and it's thinking that. <laughs> and the, the caption is, everyone dreams of fishes. Oh, oh that's shit. really great. And that's also yeah. a callback to the chain coffin, right? Where it says Abe saved right. in dreams of fishes. That yeah. is so awesome. Yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and get that, scan that for the post this week. And we see this giant plane that Yosef is in. It's probably one of the SSS planes or something like that, right? Yeah. Inside, Jiroko talks to Yosef, and they talk about ground effect flight, which is utilized by the ship. And, of course, I had to look this up. In fixed-wing aircraft, ground effect is increased lift or force and decreased aerodynamic drag that an aircraft's wings generate when they are close to a fixed surface. The pilot can then fly just above the runway while the aircraft accelerates in ground effect until a safe climb speed is reached. Does that mean the plane can't tilt? I don't know. I think that's just for to take off. Anyway, I'm not sure. Maybe one of our listeners can well, shed light on that. It looks like it's a really heavy plane, so maybe it needs to build up to a certain speed right, before yeah. it starts lifting off. Otherwise, it might just smash into the um, ground. And it it's funny because Yosef says he doesn't really understand it. Either. Right. <laughs> Jiroko asks why they have such a big operation for a small town. And Yosef says he's unwilling to surrender anybody in this war just yet. And they also talk about how he found their team... We learned that Agent Tasso had a GPS on him, and we also confirmed that he didn't make it after the events of Return of the Master. Snyder drew Tasso also. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he sure yeah. did. Young Tasso, right? Mm-hmm. Yosef says he's happy that Droko volunteered for the mission and says she's their guest. We're all in this together, right? She says. Yosef says she may not have the same attitude when they land. And we see why when we turn the page, there are just those mole creatures all over. They're just swarming everywhere. The pilot says he doesn't think they can clear it. Yeah, so I like this panel showing how crazy this scene is. It's amazing. I don't know a lot of Russian, but they don't sound very optimistic, Jiroko says. They're not. Why should they be, Yosef says. And we see this Ogdraham. These Ogdraham designs just get weirder and weirder. I imagine it would be hard to design one of these and make them all look different and have a different feel. Yeah. This right. one is like this slug thing. with. It's just really, really awesome monster work. Uh, this pilot is one of my all-time favorite characters from any of these comics. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, the pilot gets a little bit of a spotlight in this story. Yeah, I like him a lot. We learn that Yosef calls this ship the Ekranoplan, which just means ground effect vehicle in Russian. And we get a good button-pushing scene, right, as they blow (laughs) this thing to hell. We've talked about those scenes. For me, it's satisfying to see something be effective against the Ogdraham because we just see constantly yeah. they can't do anything with these things. Here we finally see one get blown up. And uh, so now they can land. Do you notice that, uh, see like in this panel right here, that the plane's got that weird like hood ornament trident thing that's on a couple of panels over, but then like when they're flying away, it's gone. Oh yeah. It's a blooper. <laughs> okay. As they get down and get ready for this mission, Yosef tells the pilot to wait no longer than 60 minutes. And the pilot, he basically says, he already knew that, but make sure you know I'm leaving in 60 minutes. You know what I mean? It's kind of, he gives him this attitude right off the bat. 
And Jeralco, she says, you know, that guy would have been court-martialed. But I really like Yosef's point. He says, he only wants to succeed. If we achieve that, perhaps I'll consider disciplining him. And if we don't, well, what difference will it make? Right? And so I think right. that kind of relates a little bit to Enos, too. We were talking about him a little earlier. We see them leave out in these APCs, and I had to look that up as well. It means Armored Personal Carrier. And so it seems like Jeroko and her team, they're going to be doing an evacuation mission, which is what they were actually talking about on the monitors when Abe was looking at them. But Yosef tells this one guy that they have another mission. So they're going the opposite way of, of where all the people are. I like the uh, design of these APCs and like they're, um, it's like they don't have tank treads or uh, tires. They have like screw-like devices that seem to propel them forward. Oh, Okay. I didn't even notice that detail. Yeah, you're right. You'll notice it better uh, later in the yeah, story. Yeah, that's a really cool. That's a really cool detail. Man, this guy can draw anything. Yeah. <laughs> and they get some mole monsters on the way, so we see them blowing those guys up. I translated this, so they come up to this black, this like wall of black pillars, these giant stones, and this guy he curses. I translated this. It said, "Son of bitch." and so in the cover for this issue we see those black pillars have these like intricate etchings all over them too and so this is so weird and it's just like when you're like what am i looking at here and it's like sectioning off part of the land sir what is this place the guy asks him man your gun sergeant yosef responds they come across one pillar that's fallen and yosef gets out and starts walking over to it He tells the sergeant to wait 10 minutes, and if he doesn't hear from him, drive back to the plane. He says the captain will know what to do, and Yosef crosses over. So you're like, where is he going? What's over here? And so he goes over there, and as he walks up, he sees this cabin, and there's like a radio tower, and the radio tower has fallen on the cabin. And Yosef thinks to himself that this is a good omen. And he's greeted by the lieutenant, who tells him that they had no reception in the blizzard, but now the weather is cooperating. It wouldn't dare do otherwise, they say. So we leave this weird scene, it kind of leaves us hanging there, and we cut back over to the BPRD. And Kate's frustrated, like usual. Abe's gone, and somehow Atherton slept through the blaring alarms. So this guy, Atherton, is that Peter? Is that the guy that was... Oh, it, it kind of does look like him. Right. The researcher? Yeah. The scientist guy? The one who's like, private sector, baby. Yes, that guy. And Panya comes over to help, but Kate's like, oh, sorry, I sent out that emergency to everyone. You can go back to sleep. So they just like dismiss her like nothing. They don't even ask her if she saw anything, which I think is kind of ironic and hilarious in a way. She doesn't sleep, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, and they say go back to sleep, yeah. She she would have been on monitor duty in the time that Abe was missing, I think. Right, yeah. Better than all that, here's Kate in her pink slippers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, she's got the fuzzy pink slippers. That is so awesome. <laughs> they, like, woke her up in the middle of the night. What I wanted to talk about is, as Panya, so Johan comes over, and they're like, what the hell happened? And Panya just wheels away. Did, did she have something to do with Atherton sleeping through those alarms, maybe? Oh, that's a good point. Okay. Possibly, maybe. but then maybe he's just 
you know, because tired. we saw her there with Abe. She talks to Abe. Now we cut to this scene. Abe's gone. This guy slept through these alarms and she just doesn't say anything. I always assumed that she had something to do with Abe leaving. Right. Because apparently he's not on the premises and he didn't tell anyone. He didn't sign out or no. whatever, right? <laughs> and so my mind starts going, well, why would she do that? So I do think it's conceivable if she was aiding him that she would definitely. Because, yeah, because look at how, what's his name? Peter Atherton. See how he's got his hand on his head? Like yeah. he's in disbelief. He's like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. We cut over yeah, to. You might be right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that was my thought, especially as she just deadpan rolls away. We cut over to Yosef in the cabin. He comes in and he's greeted by another guy. They offer him tea and all this stuff. And they check out this giant console with all these screens on it, tracking various data. He feels bad for offering him tea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I mean, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a nice little awkward moment. He's, I didn't notice yeah, that. Says, Thank you for, for it, pointing that out. It was a welcome gesture. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> And Yosef's like, it's still working, it's still running. I just see no transmission. And as they talk, Yosef mentions that we can't afford to move the audio file now. Yosef calls in and he says to launch the second phase, complete the evacuation. He'll be staying there. And so I like this. This is the part where it starts to get interesting. And one of the guys says, we broadcast that audio day and night, forbidden to listen to it, but we defend it with our lives. And the other one says, and now with you here, it would be nice to know what is so important about our broadcast, sir. And Yosef, he says, are you asking it for honesty from Russian bureaucracy? No, from you, they say. Ah, I see how it is. Actually, it is a good day for you to know the truth. And so Yosef talks about Vivara. You've heard stories about Vivara, yes? She founded the Special Services right after the war, which is a great piece of irony, since she herself would make an interesting subject for investigation by our agency. And in her eyes, we see that demon that we know that's inside of her. That's pretty cool. I love that, yeah. 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 She ran Special Sciences for years, partially because she was effective, but mostly because she wanted to. And those who didn't want her to, and we see this dead guy (laughs) at like a conference room or whatever. I like how she's just walking on the table too. And still the Russian instinct for an overthrow couldn't be stopped. Ah, those Russians always trying to overthrow somebody. Months of planning, very quiet planning. And we see that same cabin that they're at with the radio tower. And I love this, right? So they brought in this medium to say this carefully researched incantation. I love this I shot love of her, her yeah. gesticulating yeah. as she's doing it. <laughs> All this done hundreds of miles away from Moscow, you understand, making discovery less likely. And so they're all at the boardroom with Vavara. So we get a sense that one of these guys is in on it, and then he turns on the radio, and then when she hears the incantation, she's weakened. And so that's how she's ended up in the jar, right? We've seen her in the jar these last couple stories, and so once they weaken her with the incantation, they can put her in there. I love the shot of her pouting when she realizes so she can't get out. Yosef explains that this happened many years ago. Um Right before the upgraded digital, almost no one remembers what this station is for and how crucial it is. And then they're like, oh, I think we'd rather not have heard that story. (laughs) Didn't I say that you needed to hear it, Lieutenant? Your perimeter has been damaged, Yosef says. You may have to defend this place today against forces that don't care about bullets. It's a beautiful day now. Easy for you to think I'm wrong, but trust me, these creatures are everywhere. And when the sun is out... It's much harder to see them. And we end on Vivara. She's got a glint in her eye. 
I really love so the so the tape isn't running. Right. Right. But she is still in the jar, and they have things written on the jar that are right. keeping her in there, right? And that, like there uh, might be a crucifix around it. Yeah. But she's the no rocks. longer in this weakened state. I right, think, yeah. yeah. Right. This next cover, have I seen this cover before? So, yeah, th- we have a very similar cover for BPRD 1948 issue one, I think. Yeah, but it, yeah, um, I'd love to put those side by side. Do you remember I said I wanted to make a note of something, and I realized that they have the wrong demon here representing Vivara, and they even did it wrong in the last issue where you could see the reflection in her eyes. Oh, really? Yeah. So I thought this was the one. Remember, she was one of three. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was one that was kind of like an ape, one that was like a goat, and she was like a lion. Mm-hmm. Did and the lion not have horns? Or no? It had horns, but not like this. Okay. And uh, you can, like, if you go back to 1948, it's very clear. He kind of looks like and a lion, though. Is it not? He's like... It's not. Yeah, mm. it's not the same. So I, I was confused. I was like, is this oh. supposed to be Is this supposed to be her? Or is she speaking through one of the three a, demons? A le- oh, okay, right. Because remember, they were a trinity. Yeah. And, and two and of so them... I, yeah, but she can turn into that form. I I never really questioned it. I always just assumed it was it was Vavara. Yeah, me too. <coughs> it, that's really he, interesting. He looks, wow, his, the face looks very liony to me. I don't know. Well, so you guys are reading a different version than me. Oh, maybe Ooh. there's a chance. Oh, they maybe went there's back a difference in the. It. Maybe they've tried to fix it for the. God, are, I don't have are, my back issue. I'm gonna have to look at that. Are the horns long and wavy? No. No, they're kind of they're a little short shorter and stubby. And the lion, it's a lion's face. It has a lion's I mouth. I wonder if they redrew it. Now I kind of want to go pull my back oh, issue. Oh, man. Hold on, I'm going to text you a picture. Oh, awesome. Um, okay. It, it's like we're looking at page one of the second issue, and it's like coming through a portal, right? Yes. Yeah. All right, I just texted it to you so you can look at it if you want. Because mine looks like a goat. No, it's different. Whoa. Oh, they changed it. They changed it. Wow. Wait, <laughs> Ah, so when did that omnibus come out? Because I would have. I. Because I would have brought this up in 2016. Did the omnibus just come out like recently? Yeah, they just came out too. Oh, that's I awesome. I texted it to both of y'all. How cool is that? That is so awesome, Matt. Because I was sitting there looking at it, going, "That's the wrong demon." But it's on more no, than we're one like, page. I don't know what you're oh, talking weird. about. Yeah. No, they changed it. They totally changed it. You're right. It had a, it had like a, it looked like an elk or something. It looked like a oh, deer. Now, oh, weird. Now I, now I want to see what you're looking at. Well, you I, can send I me took it. pictures of it. I'll send it to John. Cool. That's funny, right? That is so yeah. neat. I didn't know what you were talking about. I was like, what? Do you not know what goats look like? <laughs> I have been wondering this for years guys like <laughs> it's the kind of thing like i'll look at this every now and then and go yeah i think they did screw that up i wonder if they ever you know yeah they totally changed kind of stuff, it but wow that's funny i like this little guy who's all the way in the rib cage he's like sitting in there and he's kind of gnawing yeah. on <laughs> the thing he's like pulling on it with his teeth in both hands they all look so happy they're getting to eat this guy too <laughs> they're having a good old time all right, Matt, you'll get those uh, momentarily as they okay. travel through space. 
So for chapter two, we open up in hell and we see a bunch of these little guys. They're eating on this big demon. And so this kind of catches up with Hellboy in Hell because we know now what's happened yeah. in there. We know that like all the demons have been overthrown and it's just these little guys everywhere. I gotta love the idea of like the little guy demons just overthrowing. Yeah. And this one guy like, uh, so this demon calls in basically to Hell. And I like this idea that like, it's like a video it's like a FaceTime yeah. call or something like that. And it, ma- it makes me think of Astros' line at the end of Box Full of Evil where he's like, call me. Like, he oh, literally shit. means, like, yeah. give him a call in hell, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think this demon is Vivara, right, that we see coming yeah. through the portal. Yes. It's the demon form that we've seen Vivara take shape of, and we also saw it in that last issue. Oh, I guess they, they changed it in the last issue, too. They must have changed the eyes, Matt, too. Hmm. We'll have to compare that afterwards. I wonder if they credit a different artist or have the same guy do it. I don't know. Yeah. Vavara's calling for Beleth was a mighty and terrible king of hell who had 85 legions or demons under his commands because we see here that Beleth is totally being eaten by all these little guys. And the little guys, they tell Vavara that you don't understand, old one. No master is here anymore. I am an old one. You know me. I am seventh under Satan, she says, commander of 6,000 legions in the House of Princes. And as the demon talks, its eyes start glowing. I really love this effect. And then so the little guys, their eyes start glowing. So you get the sense that like it's using some power to influence them. So this is after Hellboy killed Satan and after that one demon said, hey, Hellboy, you said you yes. remember me. Yes. But now you're nothing. You have no kingdom, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so Vivara says, come, come serve a new master. We cut back over to Jiroko in the evacuation mission, and she's being a badass as usual. There you go, she says, as she finishes off one of the mole creatures. As she heads back to the Ekrano plan, she notices that one of the APCs is missing. And just then, the ship starts taking off. So Jiroko runs over to the cockpit, and she bangs on the door to be let in. When she doesn't get an immediate response, she fucking shoots the door open. (laughs) (laughs) The pilot, she's like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And he says, Nacheko say, wait hour and leave. If he not back, hour is over. And she's like, great, nice little story. Now you want to hear mine? It's a good one. And so she tells him all about how Yosef saved her crew when they thought that they were going to die. So this plane isn't going anywhere until the director or his body is on board. And she orders him to grab a helmet. Might get rough out there. So I like that she makes this guy go out there too. She's like, not only are we waiting, you're going to go out there with me and help me. Well, I mean, it's smart because if she takes him with her, he can't leave. Right. But if she doesn't, he's all like, fuck, I said I was leaving. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. See, I thought that, I like, again, I like your thinking on this, but I thought she was just doing it because he was disrespectful to Yosef No, earlier. she's definitely doing it so the plane doesn't take yeah, off, for yeah, sure, yeah. No, that's a much smarter <laughs> yeah. logic. They follow the path back to the Black Pillars, and they find these dead guys. And the pilot's like, it's too dangerous. And Jiroko says, you know, as Russians go, you're kind of a punk. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> They go up to the cabin, and there are all these dead, frozen bodies around. Jiroko sees one with a grenade launcher. Whose side were you on, she asks. Either way, your grenade launcher's on my side now. (laughs) Closer to the door, they see a dead SSS agent. 
shot in the head. We can see his badge that he's got the um, he's got their logo on there. And we can we can see that the windows are all broken, and inside Yosef sits in front of this little recorder, and it looks like he's just frozen in front of a chessboard. He had said earlier, "Do you guys have chess or something like that?" Okay, yeah. so the dead people outside in the snow—that's the police officer and his wife referenced a few pages earlier. Oh, right, right, right. right yes. She says, "My brother, he's police. He go to station for guns. Wife go too." And right? we can see their badges, uh, the the police badges. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. But what's up with Yosef? Why is yeah. he just sitting there? It's such a weird scene that he's just there. Maybe he ran out of juice. Yeah, he ran out of. Uh... Well, I was thinking that maybe his juice got frozen. Right, yeah. he just got frozen in there or he's something. Like, he's like sitting there going, "God damn it, somebody should have put him <laughs> in this damn thing." And so Yosef is unresponsive, but Jiroko notices that he's got something in his hand. And we get some nice horror pacing on the bottom. One of those frozen bodies just kind of props itself up. Yeah, I really like that. In the horror movie, there would be like a sound effect, right? There would be like a re yeah. as it does that or something. Over on the next page, we can see the frozen body is grabbing one of the guns from the outside bodies. And Jiroko finds a memory card in Yosef's hand. As she's trying to figure it out, the frozen one comes in and starts shooting at them. And Jiroko dodges and shoots back. She drops the recorder in the process. You don't scare me, lady, she says. I've killed bigger monsters than you today. And so this is really crazy, too. So, like, she shoots this lady, and then the holes start, like, smoldering. And then she, like, drops to her knees and, like, just bursts into flames, which I think is a great, great effect there. And as this is happening, you know, the old pilot guy, he starts putting it together. He's like, oh, you know, the recorder, the memory card, you know. This other possessed body breaks in and punches Jiroko in the head. It has burning eyes, just like those demons that we saw. And it's, fa- it's this is crazy. It like lifts her up, and this face transforms into this giant yeah, cauldron-like what? maw. It's so weird. And it has Jiroko, like it's going to drop her in there. And so right then, the pilot, he's able to get the memory card. He puts it in the recorder, and it plays. And we get this cool sound effect, too, yeah. on the page as yeah. it's like swirling out, and we see all this like weird language. Yosef had a demon in him, too. Doesn't oh yeah, like one, out of him. one comes out of him too. So it was like maybe holding him at bay or something. Yeah, yeah, because when they play the recorder, then all the demons flee out of those bodies. I like Jiroko's face on this last panel. She's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> In the aftermath, we see Yosef tending to Jiroko. I can't return you to Doctor Corgan. Broken, he says. I like that. You know, he's a. Yeah. Uh, they have a really nice relationship. Can we just pause to note that Captain Yagaroff saved everyone's ass right there? He did. There? Sure, yeah. He sure he really did. did. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, he's he's pretty tough. I like that guy. He He's the one who put it together. Yeah, and Jiroko even mentions that. Yosef says when the radio tower went down and stopped transmitting the broadcast, Vivara was able to get her friends. She possessed two locals and took out the radio station. They couldn't find the source of the signal, so they waited for him. Jiroko asked Yosef why they didn't possess him or blow him up with a grenade launcher. I've been dead for 60 years, he says, and I'm still here. Maybe Bavara can't predict what will happen if she tries to kill me again. Or maybe she just wanted to torture me. And so now the pilot is all on, you know, their side. He's like all motivated. He's like, well, you know, it means the clock is ticking, right? If we have to get to another broadcast tower or whatever. So now he's like on board with the mission, you know? Right. Yosef is impressed that Joko was able to convince the captain to stay. 
Jiroko says he's the one who connected the dots with the recorder, so it all worked out. Though I wish it had worked out better, she says, looking at a dead soldier. Learn to appreciate the partial victories, Agent Jiroko, Yosef says. It's unlikely we'll see any other kind. Ooh. And that's kind of the same thing that he was saying to Kate earlier. Um, he's got that sentiment about him. And we see the the plane taking off. Yeah, so I really love these two stories. Um, I just love having some of these different artists, too. Snybeer is always great coming back. And in the sketchbook, I was looking at page 363. We're looking at the omnibus version. Scott Alley writes... Peter Snybeer was the first to draw Yosef in the Abyssal Plain, collected in Abe Sapien, The Drowning, and other stories. When Yosef came back as the undead director of Russia's Special Science Service, Tyler Crook was the first one to draw him. When Peter returned for A Cold Day in Hell, we asked him to revise Yosef's design, taking us through many versions for the right mix of dead but expressive. And so in the sketchbook, you can see Snybeer's sketches of Yosef's head. And it kind of, it has these little remarks. It says, more cartoony. See, he can smile. I like that. Yeah. And we get Snybeer's sketches of the mole monsters. We also see Dave Johnson's layouts for the covers that he did for these series. On 368, I love these promotional designs from Lawrence Campbell. Scott Alley writes, Lawrence Campbell's realistic style was a departure for us on BPRD, and we wondered how he would handle the most fantastical elements. But these Ogdruhem designs reassured us. On the next page, we see all of Campbell's Ogdruhem designs and how he designed those weird bulb-shaped ones and all that. Is there a Lobster Johnson pinup in that? Yeah. Okay. That's at the end of Cold Day in Hell Part 1, where he goes... He's talking about Wasteland, and he goes and check out this awesome Lobster Johnson he did. Yeah, there's actually a Hellboy and an Abe, too, in the Omnibus oh, version that look really I'd cool. Like to, yeah, I'd like to see that. I'll uh, I'll definitely post them this week, and I'll, I'll, I'll message them to you, Matt, so you don't have to wait for the post. But just all the great designs of uh, Lawrence Campbell did on these characters. You know, he really fleshed out the look of Nichols and Gervish. I really love how all these look. And I believe these images, a lot of these images are also in his sketchbooks, which you can buy from him on his website or if you message him on Twitter. He's very responsive, super cool guy. You got to check out the pinup of Daryl the Wendigo in the back of BPRD Hell on Earth number 106. So the second cold day in hell. Okay. This artist, Mike Corley, he works on Dark Horse books. He was chatting about Hellboy on the message boards when they used to have their own message boards at Dark Horse. And he said, somebody was saying, wouldn't it be cool if Daryl was in BPRD vest and had the goggles on? So he Oh, grew man. Yeah, that's not in here. I'm trying to look through. Oh, okay. um, don't, don't look too much through Aubrey because you're going to spoil yourself. No, I was wondering. But I, don't, but I don't see it, though. It's a really good picture because he's, like, smiling. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to definitely get that. Thank you for pointing out those stuff. from the, So when we read through it every week, are you always reading through the back issues? Yeah. Well, okay. So when we did Hellboy in Hell, I had single issues open and library edition just in case there was any discrepancy. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. Something worth noting. Yeah, generally the single issues. When I sit down to do my notes, I try and read the physical, but I'm usually reading the collected versions like the omnibus or stuff like that, not the single issues. Right. So 
All right. And so this was a great episode. I, I really love getting back to the BPRD and see what's going on with them. We still haven't seen Liz yet. What's yeah, going to happen geez. with Liz? So we're still waiting for that reveal to come back. But next week, we'll kind of explore Abe's story a little more. We'll see what happened with him. I know, Danielle, you were a little... Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, we only got one page of this. What is... Come on. I'd like to draw it out. Yeah, keep you, keep it's you annoying. anticipating. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> This is where these stories start to become like if you think about the BPRD and Hellboy and all that is like a human life. Like before Hell on Earth, they were like teenagers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and now the stories have become like grownups. Yeah. <laughs> That's where this and with the Abe series is where I really started to feel that. Yeah, I'm excited uh-huh. to get to it. I'm really excited to get to it. So awesome well thank you so much for helping us out on on duties man it is so awesome to have you on the show every week and like yeah actually (laughs) uh, i was gonna wait to have you on next week but we got so much feedback on hellboy and hell i was like oh i gotta have matt on because a lot of it related to your theory and and stuff like that which um it was so awesome it just adds a whole new dimension to the show so i really like that man thank you again yeah i I, I enjoy having you as well matt it's just uh it just makes it a little more fun. An yeah. Extra, an extra voice, an extra, you know, yeah. person. So it's nice. Love and <laughs> Danielle I'm, sends her love. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm loving it too. This is super fun. So anytime, really. Awesome. And did you open your Mega Constructs guy? Did you, uh, or you left uh, it in the packaging? <laughs> I left it in the packaging. Um, I don't generally open stuff like that because I, I feel like it's valuable to me. Right. Uh, but man, the packaging it came in, the envelope with the lobster Johnson. Oh, Danielle on it, drew not... all over it. Danielle drew oh the book God, club logo cool. on it and she drew the lobster Johnson <laughs> seal on it and she put like Hellboy Book Club headquarters or something like that or anyway. Nice. Yeah, she Danielle goes all out. We'll find out what's going on with Abe next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Hell on Earth, Wasteland, and A Cold Day in Hell. You can send us your feedback to HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And the Discord link is on our Facebook page along with the reading list. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the wonderful things they do there. And always a thank you to Paul from Goddard for the wonderful theme. Love it all the time. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we're going to be talking about Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible, and a new race of man. So, you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, pull out your trades, grab those omnibuses, see as an Abe story, see if you can find some in the ocean, uh, <laughs> and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying... Quite a mystery, this fellow.